the chat and we are here today with Josh Ho from Decarceration Nation. Welcome. Thank you for being with us. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Beautiful nice. day. It is beautiful. Um, we had a little bit of time to chat before we started recording today and we decided that we were going to talk about three different topics here. One of them is how to be trauma-informed. Um, the, the next topic is just the great things that Joshua Ho of Decarceration Nation has been involved in. And then lastly, we are going to touch on just some leadership tips and styles um, of what he does to kind of keep himself going um, in the work that he's doing. So first off, would you tell us a little bit about um, when it comes to justice impacts of people, like what are things that you think that people should stay away from? You had talked about that there's this problem where people are kind of trying to discredit a speaker, um, especially when it comes to justice impacted people. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, if one of the places where I'm particularly active is on social media, uh, places like Twitter and things like that. And one of the things that uh, I've noticed over the years is that there, you know, one of the things I do the most of is what I would call media criticism of coverage of criminal justice issues. And there's kind of different kinds of coverage that criminal justice issues get. There's kind of a good faith discussion, which is reporters who actually have some background and understand the issues and actually take the time to get to know someone and present their story and do it in a way that's constructive. It may not always be polite, it may not always be delicate, but at least they're trying to uh, be uh, concerned with both the story they're trying to tell as a reporter and also the impact that story might have and why it's important to tell the story in the first place. And then there's also a very large range of what I would call bad faith efforts, which are really people who are just trying to get more clicks. And so they'll use scare tactics and they'll take stories out of context and they'll uh, try to you know, do what they call gotcha journalism, where they you know, try to make you, you try to tell you it's going to be one story and then it turns out to be a different story. And there's just all these times where uh, the point really isn't to try to uh, really get to the bottom of an important issue or talk about the issue. It's really just to generate more fear or it's to get more people to the outlet. And so, in my opinion, you know, you have to be really careful about how you interact with media because it's not always good, you know, it's not always done in good faith. Absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, some of those bad faith things that end up happening, like you mentioned, it drives, you know, drives people into fear and actually kind of distorts the real information that is out there. Um, and, and that's, it's not really like a place that we want to be. So I appreciate well, and the last thing I think any of us wants to do is be part of a project that makes it easier for more and more people to be brought into a system that doesn't do a lot of good for people. Uh, you know, I think all of us who do this kind of work are involved in trying to find ways to make whatever system we have uh, a, a system that actually cares about people and about outcomes as opposed to just a warehousing process, or even worse, a, a, a process of brutalization. Absolutely. And so I'm not very interested in being part of stories that are about uh, 
enabling more brutalization. There's way too many people who are being, you know, too many of our brothers and sisters who are being hurt all over the country right now. I agree with you. I agree with you. And you had mentioned that you're kind of in the works with a project about, um, you know, who you owe your story to. And would you mind just giving us like a, a preview of what that that's going to be about? You know, I mean, this is kind of like what we were talking about before about good faith and bad faith. You know, I really don't mind telling my story or talking about things about my experience in incarceration or what crime I committed or things like that, if it's an effort in good faith. In other words, that that's going to be used in a way that actually is helpful to the larger narrative overall, if it's to try to help people not make the same mistakes I made or something like that. But a lot of times it's a bad faith effort. And what people are doing when they're asking about my story is really trying to discredit me. In other words, instead of actually engaging with me about the topics, what they're trying to do is get people to say, oh, that person is a criminal or that person is a felon or that person is on the registry or that person is whatever. You know, you know, some of my friends get that person's a murderer or that person's a whatever it is, whatever the effort is. The point is that this person, we're going to let this person talk, but we're only going to let them talk with you knowing in advance that they should not be taken seriously. And I'm not really, you know, you know, I'm not really there for that. And I don't think I really owe people that, you know, I owe anyone who I harmed a debt and I'll owe that eternally. And, you know, a lot of the way that I talk about accountability uh, when I'm giving speeches and things like that, it's the notion that it's an ongoing concern. It's not something you say. It's not something you go, well, I said I was accountable, so everything's okay now. It's an ongoing commitment to not do harm again. And, you know, a lot of that comes from, you know, if you look at what victims actually say, as opposed to what gets reported and all that, most of the time what they say is that they want people to never do it again. And so to me, accountability is being committed to the idea of never doing something like that again. And, you know, that to me, those are the kind of things that, you know, those are the kind of discussions I'll be a part of, but I don't, you know, I don't owe people who I never harmed my story. Absolutely. You know, I think that's where it gets tricked up. You know, I don't mind telling my story if I think it'll be helpful, but there's this kind of assumption with everybody who talks to you. And a lot of times when anyone who's formerly incarcerated gets brought into spaces, it almost becomes salacious. Like it's either, like I said before, it's bad faith or there's kind of a, a salacious nature to it that people want to kind of get the, the dirt more than they want to talk about what you really are trying to talk about. And so my tendency is to try to get a really, really solid feel on what the people I'm talking to are about, because I don't feel like I owe everyone my story. There are people that I owe things to, but I did my time. I don't owe society anything. You know, I owe the people I harmed. That's different. And, you know, and I, you know, I think for a lot of people probably listening to this too, you know, a lot of us were also the victims of crimes. And so we know what it's like to be in both subject positions. And so yeah, it's just a complicated thing. And I think it's hard to navigate, but I think it's important to try to navigate it in a way where you're going to feel, uh, you know, um, good about what you're doing and how you're, you're interacting with folks. Yeah. I, the last thing in the world I want to do is, make the world worse for people who are in a similar situation. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, absolutely. And I think what you're, you know, describing is like, like a more restorative justice type model is where we're working with the people 
that, you know, and because everyone causes somebody harm, whether or not they've been caught for it, incarcerated for it or not, people will cause people harm all the time, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, we all have to look at ourselves and say, like, how can we be more restorative in that process? And I think that, you know, it's very important for those of us, you know, that have gone through the system in one way or another to also be able to guard ourselves, you know, against bad faith media and bad faith publicists. So um, I think that's really well, I think important one, tonight. Yeah. I think one way to look at it is, you know, if you're, I think you can be invested in a process of trying to make the world a better place where people are healed, or you can be invested in the process of trying to double down on systems and things that have failed. And, you know, I just think it's better to be involved in the process of, of, of trying to find a better world and healing folks. You know, uh, if you're involved in healing, you're probably doing good work in my okay. opinion. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great note to, you know, close that section on. So I appreciate that. Um, and so I'd love to, you know, us to talk more about the work that you've done uh, with Decarceration Nation as the uh, founder and <laughs> I know you don't like that word <laughs> and um, and the host and you know you you have a great voice and it comes across in your podcast you talk to other phenomenal people that are working on the issues of decarceration and eliminating harm and you know making our communities um, more whole as opposed to recreating harm in our communities so would you talk to us about decarceration nation and some of the uh, bills that you've passed and in coalition in Michigan? Uh, sure. You know, I mean, they're kind of separate projects. I kind of work full-time as a policy analyst for a criminal justice reform organization. And then decarceration nation is something I started before I ever uh, was working in that space. And the idea of the podcast was really, uh, you know, it is factually correct that there is a very large percentage of people in this country probably a large enough percentage of people in this country to actually turn elections who were either directly impacted in the sense that they were incarcerated or their friends and family were incarcerated. And if you take all of those people together and you start actually getting everyone on the same page in terms of what the scope of the problem is and educating everyone to the, the, the breadth of the problem, that we could actually work together uh, and really influence, really change the way the world works in terms of uh, punishment and incarceration uh, and reentry and everything else that's involved with, you know, everything from arrest to reentry, you know. And so that was the original thought. And me and a friend of mine who was not directly impacted started doing a podcast. And ultimately, he had another child and do it as much and I had to change the model and so I thought about it for a little while and I thought well what about you know I'd had a lot of experience uh, in policy work before I was ever incarcerated and I said well what would would it be interesting if someone who was formerly incarcerated was having conversations with with non-impacted although I also I also do interview people who are directly impacted but people who are considered experts in this area but aren't necessarily directly impacted. And, and, and how would those tables work and what would be interesting? So I started just uh, asking people to let me interview them. And a surprisingly large amount of them said yes. And so I started doing an interview model. And over the years, we've really moved to um, 
you know, I, I guess I'm saying the royal we, it's mostly me and a couple of volunteers. Uh, but, you know, we've moved to where, you know, I've interviewed everything from the Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court to uh, people who are running for office, both in Michigan and nationally, to, uh, you know, I've had New York Times bestselling authors, I've had Pulitzer Prize winners. And one of the things I hope is valuable about that is that it demonstrates to everybody who is formally incarcerated that you can sit at any table you want to sit at and that we can sit at any tables we want to sit at. It only requires you know, the, the willingness to really put the work in and the time in and you can make it happen. And I'm not saying that, that you know, everything is different for every person and the different skills we all bring to the table, but you can sit at those tables. And, and we we we, can, we do sit at those tables, and, and it's becoming more and more frequent. And I think that's good. Uh, the legislative stuff I've been involved with uh, really wasn't directly uh, related to the podcast. Um, before I, you know, I've been a consultant uh, before I ever worked at the place I work now. I was a consultant uh, and helped to pass the First Step Act, which was a national piece of legislation. And then over the, you know, uh, over the last you know, a couple of years I've been working here in Michigan where I live. And last year, I think we passed over 40 pieces of legislation. Uh, one of one set of one package of, from that legislation was the largest expansion of expungement that's ever happened in the United States. So, you know, there were a lot of other things that, that got passed too, but that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Because as I say, when I'm talking about it, it's speeches and stuff like that, is that, you know, the thing with criminal record expungement uh, is that for a lot of people who have been out for a lot of time and been successful or at least not been, you know, returned to crime, when you get your record expunged, for those people, it'll be the first time they've been able to walk into a place like an apartment complex and go in there and feel confident that they can put in an application to get a, a place with safe housing and not have to worry about being, you know, rejected just because they have a record or the first time that they've walked into a job interview and don't feel like from the minute they walk into the interview that they've got no choice. I mean, and no chance. And, you know, I mean, to me, that's really important. And so uh, I'm glad that we got as much covered. And some people have said as many as a million people will be covered by this expungement. And I'm hoping that that'll be proof of concept so that we can go back and get more people uh, eligible over uh, the next years and decades. That's fantastic. And I just appreciate all the work that you're doing on that and have done and, um, you know, all the different lives that will be changed. Cause it's a big deal, you know, to just have, be able to have dignity and feel like, you know, you just have the basic rights that everybody else has within the community. So I appreciate that. And if you don't give people hope for a better future when they return, then what was the point of the whole thing? All you're doing is making it more likely that people have nothing but desperation to turn to. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to create a world where people have something to come back to. Definitely. Definitely. I appreciate that so much. Um, yeah. And I love how you talked about too, you know, just a lot of the work and I know the, the, the podcast is obviously separate from the legislation that you've done, but just the work of, um, you know, inviting everybody out there that's listening that, you know, that we do have a place at these tables um, you know, I think some of these tables were built for us without us there. And I think that there's a lot more opportunity for us to continue to sit at these tables and to speak at these tables and, you know, build some of them ourselves. And we can start, you know, now with 
the technology um, advancements, we can start connecting with people that we weren't able to connect with. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, building your own table is sometimes the best way. You know, I mean, that's essentially what I created the podcast. I was building my own table and inviting other people to my table. So, you know, I mean, that's a great thing. You know, when all else fails, I mean, one thing almost all formerly incarcerated and incarcerated people understand is hustle. And, <laughs> that's I mean, true. A lot of times we got to hustle to make things happen. And that's, 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 I think what we all are, we all are uniquely good at, at making things happen. So. That's true. And I love that you brought the skills that you already had, you know, uh, prior to like your debate skills and, you know, turned that into something that's like really meaningful. Um, and then use those same public speaking skills to work in collaboration to get so many great bills passed in Michigan. So appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, obviously in all of those was large coalitions and, you know, I'm bet, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a, a lot of people work to get a lot to get that done, but it, I'm really proud to have been part of all those, um, all those efforts. That's great. And so I want, I'd love to like kind of move into the leadership, um, and just kind of tips that you can give other folks out there that are starting their own thing, or maybe they're a part of someone else's table, but they want to, you know, they want to feel like they fit at that table and kind of shed some of the imposter syndrome. Um, I know that you had mentioned that one of the things that you really focus on is how to be present. And do you have any tips for our viewers on how to be present? You know, I think sometimes, you know, it's really easy when you first walk into a room or a place where you're being invited in is to feel like if you don't speak immediately, you know, you're never going to get to speak. And I think a lot of times that ends up meaning that, you know, we don't take the time to just take a deep breath and read the room and feel out where the right places and, you know, ways that we can interact are. And I think sometimes as hard as it is that patience is really a, a virtue uh, when, when, and being present and really getting a feel for the room. You know, I mean, remember when I first got incarcerated, you know, one of the things I think was the most helpful to me when I was going through the system as, you know, like a 40-year-old guy who'd never been arrested before uh, was really just not talking, just, you know, be, you know, just walking around and trying to see how everybody interacted and see what the unwritten rules were and see how things worked at the, you know, how, how do the bathroom rules work? How do the, you know, and not, not try to make a billion friends and tell people a bunch of stuff about how you know tough I was and stuff like that, but really just try to get a feel for how everything worked in that space. And I, you know, I think that's carried through uh, to when I was out too, is that you know, I don't try to be the first person who speaks at every table. Uh, I try to figure out, you know, try to find out where the power is in the room and who's, you know, where people's skills in the room lie and then try to, you know, integrate myself into that, uh, into the, you know, into the feel of the flow of those rooms and the places where I'm at. And I, that's really been helpful to me, I think, because I think my first, uh, instinct is always to, well, I better speak up or I'm not going to be, you know, I don't know, but that, 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 that's really worked for me is the same thing that worked in prison is just being patient and being willing to really try to get a good feel for a room before speaking out. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, just using observational skills and kind of um, before saying something, because you're right. I mean, if you're in a room, somebody might already, it might be completely off 
of where the room is. And so you sneaking out might just kind of set this odd tone. I know I have been definitely guilty of that before I've been in a room and I'm blabbering out what I think is the most important thing. And, you know, we're talking about a policy, trying to move a policy forward that's totally different than where I'm at. Um, and it won't necessarily be productive for me to interject at that moment. So I think that's really good advice. Um, to well, like, and I think also, you know, I think if you and I were to talk about a policy issue, for instance, if we were to sit down, just you and me, and talk about it, we'd have a very different discussion than if we walk in and are having a talk with someone who doesn't know anything about the issue and has kind of already been pre-qualified to believe that anything they do about criminal justice is going to be bad for them. True. You know, and so even though you and I have a different understanding about why certain policies work or don't work or how something that someone else in the room says is terrible or, you know, if you don't take the time to let them get from point A to point B, they're going to have cognitive dissonance and they're just going to shut you down. You know, I mean, you can talk all you want, but they're not going to hear you. And so you got to find a way to get to where they are on board. And that takes a lot of times that takes time and patience and you have to learn how to communicate with people. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's tough because a lot of these things are incredibly emotional to all of us. And so it's hard to sometimes not say, are you, are you serious? Did you really just say that out loud? You know, but you know, I mean, if they've got the power to make those decisions, you've got to really be thoughtful about how you get them on board and how you start to get them on our side. Know, and that's that's tricky. You know, a lot of times they're not coming, but you got to try. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think that I think that that's you're pointing on very, 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 um, very important keys. So thank you for dropping those. Um, so another thing that you talked about as far as your own leadership style is how to be comfortable being you. And so say you're in that room or just in general, every day when you wake up um, for our viewers that are listening, whether they're directly impacted or whether they are our strong allies, which we have many of, um, how does a person feel comfortable being themselves? How do you feel comfortable being you that makes you like show up kind of as your best person so you can do all of this phenomenal work? Well, you know, I mean, I think, a lot of it is determining what your comfort level is with being in the public. Uh, you know, I have testified in front of, you know, our legislature, I've done national press, I've done local press, I've done, you know, everything you can, you know, do, I, I, I do. And that's because I'm, I'm very comfortable being out there, even though that can make me a target for things. You know, I mean, just like most people, I get backlash for being formerly incarcerated, for being a registrant, for being all kinds of things. And you, it can be very upsetting sometimes. You know, there's nothing, it feels like the, sometimes it feels like the world is falling on your, on your head. You know, if a couple of people, you know, when I first started out, people would put my mugshot out on social media all the time. And, you know, uh, that can, that hurts, you know, it's, it's not that it's not true. It's just, you know, it's, 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 it's just a feeling that you're never going to belong again, that you can never be part of uh, society and the community and things like that. And that's really hard to take, but, you know, I have a, my personality allows me to be able to keep doing that and to be okay for the most part. And it's worked out fine for me, but not everybody has that comfort level. And so I think what it's important to do is find out 
the level you're going to be comfortable at without feeling traumatized yourself all the time, you know, where you're going to, where you're not going to, you know, be sad to be doing the work that you're doing, uh, whatever it is. Because if you put yourself in a situation where you're constantly putting yourself uh, in the spotlight in a way that turns out to feel dangerous or put you in stress at all times or make you upset at all times, then you're not going to be able to sustain it. On top of that, you're probably going to have some bad outcomes because you're going to be miserable all the time and you're not going to do your best work when you're miserable. And so I think it's really important to find what your comfort level is and to work within that comfort level. A lot of people are going to try to push you in ways that may be uncomfortable for you. And some of this stuff might be comfortable for you. Some of it might not be. And it's important to keep yourself safe as, as safe as you can and to feel as healthy as you can in whatever life you choose uh, to pursue. Uh, and, you know, I'm just crazy enough that, uh, you know, I can put myself out there and still feel pretty good about life, even when sometimes people are coming for me. Yeah, so it sounds like you have very um, thick skin, and that is a really good thing to help you do the work that you do. And I think that, you know, I, I that's very important to talk to the viewers about, you know, and, and me too. I'm, you know, I'm soaking all of this in, but, you know, just how to make sure that you're you're doing the work that you're passionate about and that you're not making yourself go outside of your comfort zone. I mean, we talk in our women's leadership uh, roundtables, we've talked a lot about boundaries and I think that really kind of hits on that too, is like knowing where your boundaries are and then just saying, you know, this is, this work is outside of that scope. Because the reality of it is, you know, as you know, a lot of people that are justice impacted do not want to do, do not, don't want to work on this field. There are a lot of people that do, and there's a lot of people that don't, and, and maybe those that don't, could possibly be because it's outside of that comfort level. Um, Well, we're also asked to, we're also asked to, in a lot of ways, you know, as kind of a, 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 an opening thing in this work, it's almost like we're asked to re-traumatize ourselves all the time. Right. To tell stories about our prison experience, to tell stories about our crime experience, to tell stories about bad things that happened to us. People enjoy you know, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of uh, prison porn, you know, the, the, you know, and a lot of the, there's like an entertainment, a surplus entertainment value that sometimes people get from that. And unfortunately for us, a lot of times we're asked to kind of just put that out there constantly. And, you know, like I said, I don't, I've gotten to the point where I won't always play along, you know, uh, and, but at the same time, I am, kind of person that can put myself out there. I just think it's important to navigate those spaces and figure out how you want to interact with those spaces and what you're willing to share and how and and when you're willing to share those things, which I think is equally important, like we talked about earlier. And, you know, I mean, the most important thing is that, you know, as I said earlier, that you stay in a place where you're working on your on being healthy and healed yourself you know, and that you're doing work that, that helps that process. Yeah, absolutely. You can't like pour from an empty cup. So I think that is great. And, and I really, I just appreciate your time, your wisdom, your thoughts, your leadership, um, your vulnerability and openness. And I I really appreciate it. It's been nice getting to know you and I, you know, hope our paths continue to align. Um, If our viewers want to find you, it sounds like you're most active on Twitter. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's just my name at Joshua B. Ho. 
Okay. Uh, that really is my last name. Sorry, I, I didn't get to pick it. It came, came with the <laughs> came with me. And I always think of Joe, but I'm not going to call you Joe because that's not your name. But. I mean, I tell people all the time, you can call me whatever you want to call me. Call me Fred if you want. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I encourage people who have not already listened to your podcast to listen to it. It's great. It's phenomenal. You're going to learn things. You're going to learn about new activists and leaders in this space. Um, that are doing wonderful work across the nation. Um, I love the name of it, Decarceration Nation. I was hoping to have like a Decarceration Nation hat on just because I love the logo and all of it. So maybe I can, you know, maybe. We used to sell them, but the, the whole thing got too complicated and the person who put the store together actually, uh, he was a volunteer and he had to go, he got a job at another place. And so. Think about it's it. Fallen. Yeah, at some point we probably should start that up again. But I'm just, I, I, I got so many things going on most of the time. It's hard for me to put, you know, effort into. I totally understand. And I appreciate you for taking the time out of your schedule to talk with me today. So. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely.